1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and beginning in verse 23. It says, Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He surely will do it. Now I remember many years ago now, when uh, the Weinbergs were going off to the mission field, and, and I had worked with Ted for six years, four of which while I was at Bible college, and then a couple years again later on. And, and so Ted and I knew each other very well. And not only that, our two families knew each other very well. In fact, they were kind of like surrogate grandparents to some of our kids, and they're like family to us. And it came time for Ted's commissioning service for them to go off into Africa and serve in missions. And uh, I was asked, among a couple others, to come and speak at that commissioning service, which I was, was a high honor for me. I had seen Ted and Diane in, in action for years, and they were neat people. When we were a young family and off at Bible college, there were a lot of needs that we had that were met through the Weinbergs. So many different times, he and Diane would provide different things or step out and reach out to people in different ways, and just a very caring couple. When I was working with Ted, we, were, we often talked about spiritual things. He was talking one day and he said, you know, I'm not loving enough. I need to be more loving. I was thinking, are you kidding me? I don't know many people as loving as you are, I thought. And he decided, you know what? He says, I'm just going to spend quite a bit of time over the next several weeks meditating on 1 Corinthians 13 because those principles, I need those principles in my life more. That's just the kind of guy he was. So when it came time to, for his commissioning service, the, the things that came to my mind was the Apostle Paul at different places in Scripture would speaking of himself, say he's had a clear conscience before God and man and could commend his ministry in that way. And I thought, you know what, That's if I think about Ted, that's what I think. He and Diana are a solid couple and a solid family. And, and my, my challenge to them that day as I was to bring one, I just pointed out all the different things, that the ways that they'd been involved and the things that they were involved in. And, and I just said, you know what, you guys have been a consistent encouragement to us and an inconsistent walk with Christ and ministry among us, I said, I guess my only real challenge to you guys is what you've done with us, go do it there now. Go be it there. I was just telling them to go be who they are. You are the right kind of people and you have the message that God has revealed to us in His Word and you just need to go be who you are among those people. Well, in one sense, that kind of ties in with what we're looking at here today because we're looking at this idea of sanctification. The first thing we want to consider is the subject of sanctification. Exactly what are we talking about? Because he tells them here, he says, May the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. Just as I was at the very end of Weinberg's ministry at Grace for a time, and the beginning of their ministry in Africa for a season, and I was there to encourage them in that way, the Apostle Paul is coming like to the end of his letter. And he's just about done. Remember back it was over a chapter ago where he said, now finally, and then it took him a long time to deal with finally. And then now he is coming right to the very end of his letter. And he says now, and he's just wish, wishing upon them this last blessing. So this is like his benediction. His last thing that he wants to speak into their life before he closes the letter. And what does he speak into their life? May the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. What is sanctification? Sanctification, the word means to set apart. It means, it means to make holy. Sanctification is that thing in which God takes us and sets us apart to Himself. There's a negative and a positive side. We're being set apart from sin and we're being set apart to God. And so God says, I have taken you and I have delivered you out of your sinfulness and I'm 
separating you to Myself. Now, we see the word sanctify in the Old Testament used of many different things. God sanctified the seventh day and made it holy unto Himself for them to keep the Sabbath. God sanctified the tabernacle and later the temple. God sanctified the priests unto Himself for that type of a service. God set apart many things unto Himself. He took sets them apart, apart from common use to be used for and by Him. And the Bible says that when Christ died for us, He paid the price for us to be sanctified, for us to be set apart unto God. Now, this sanctification kind of involves three realms. In fact, as we just talked earlier about the song Complete in Thee that we sang, and we talked about justification and sanctification and glorification. And I mentioned that there's a little bit of overlap. And that's the case. Justification is just the fact that you are kind of courtroom setting. You're now justified before God. Sanctification we usually look at as that process of growing in Christ. And then glorification is when we look at being changed in the end, when we're finally no sinful nature anymore and we're just with God forever. Well, sanctification actually kind of speaks to all three of those things. Sanctification, we find, first of all, that there is a a positional sanctification. As we look through the Word of God and try to understand this term and this concept, there is a one sense that the Bible speaks about us as already being sanctified. I think in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 10, it says, And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Now notice it's, it's in the past there. We have been sanctified. It's, it's not talking about something that's going on currently. It's something that has happened to us. Now in verse 14, he speaks about it in a little bit different tense. He says, For by a single offering He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Now, this is, there's a possibility of two things here. Either those who are being sanctified, either He's talking about a bigger process than He was in verse 10, or He's just talking about more and more people coming to faith in Christ and experiencing that sanctification that we experienced in verse 10. I think that's probably the case. So I think he's probably still talking about that initial sanctification. The moment that we put our faith in Christ, we are sanctified. We are set apart unto God. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verses 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And so you see, there is a sense which sanctification speaks to of that moment that you put your faith in Christ. You were sanctified. You were set apart unto God. And so we usually refer to that as a positional sanctification because it's not looking at how you live your life so much. Although, I mean, there's obviously a connection because they've repented against those sins. He says, such were some of you, but you were sanctified. You were set apart for God. Well, in Christ, we already are that. We are set apart for God. And so we have this position. Who... Who are we in Christ? One of the things that we are in Christ is we are sanctified. But then, not only is there a positional sanctification, there also is a perfect sanctification, or, or many times we call it an ultimate sanctification. We usually use the word glorification to start this. This looks forward to the very end. In fact, even in this passage, the Apostle Paul, as he writes this letter, he's looking forward to the very end. Because notice what it says, we found kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
earlier on in the chapter when he talked about being holy, being set apart for God earlier as well, he pointed to that day as well. And so a lot of this has a goal, a focus of when Christ returns. Well, why is that? It's because when Christ returns, our sanctification becomes complete. We'll be completely set apart unto God. Our sin nature will be eradicated and there will be no more hindrance to our relationship with God. In 1 John chapter 3, and verses 2 and 3, he says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. There's a day when we're going to stand before Christ and we're going to see Him as He is. And when we see Him as He is, we shall be like Him. Potentially, this happens in two stages. Because sanctification not only involves our spirit and our soul, as the passage talks about, the sanctification also involves our body. And so, if I was to die today, I would receive perfect sanctification before God in my spirit the moment I die. Because I go to be with Him, my sin nature is gone, and I am, I am sanctified in Christ. I am set apart to God. But my body hasn't experienced it yet. And so when the resurrection happens, when Christ comes back, remember what He said in chapters 4 and early chapter 5, when Christ comes back, He's going to raise the dead in Christ and they're going to be re- their souls, their spirits will be reunited with their bodies. The, the dead in Christ will rise first and then we who are alive and remain will be, will be caught up to be with Him. And so our body will be changed at that time. And so there's a physical sanctification that happens as well. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in verses 51 through 53, he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead in Christ will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. And so you see what he's saying there is there is you have the dead in Christ that when Christ comes back, He's going to raise up. He's going to make their mortal bodies immortal. That which is weak is going to be strong. But we're not all going to sleep. Not all of us will have been dead. If we're here for Christ's return, we're still alive. He says we won't all sleep, but we will be changed. Our bodies will go through that quickening. Our bodies will go through that glorification, that sanctification. And so we see a perfect sanctification happens when Christ returns. If I die before Christ returns, then obviously my spirit is sanctified before God as I come into His presence. But then my body will be sanctified when the resurrection happens. If I make it all the way till Christ comes back, then I won't die in Christ. I won't sleep in Christ. I will just be changed and experience the sanctification of both body and spirit at that moment. That's the goal, really, that he's pointing at is that time of Christ when we experience that full and complete sanctification. But there's one more. And the one more is in between. The moment we put our faith in Christ, positionally we've been set apart for God. At the end, when Christ comes back, we're going to be set apart for Him in a perfect way, body and soul. In the meantime, this is where we usually think of the word sanctification. Almost every time you hear somebody talking about sanctification, it's describing this one. And this is a practical sanctification. John MacArthur describes it this way. He says, Sanctification is the ongoing spiritual process by which God increasingly sets believers apart from sin and moves them toward holiness. 
growing ever closer to Christ. We should be coming more and more like Christ as each day unfolds. We should be winning more and more victories over temptations and sin. And we should just be continuing to grow in Him. And that is really kind of where he's focusing in this passage. And in this book, he's focused on it quite a bit back in First uh, Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. He says, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts in love, in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, look, you guys just you're doing well. He's going to tell him, he says, you just need to keep growing in your love and your holiness before God. Becoming more and more set apart before God. Your life lining up more and more with the values that the Bible teaches. In chapter 4, as he begins right after that, finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus Christ that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. So notice this is their, their daily life. How they walk in this world. How they live out their life before God. And to please God just as you are doing. That you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual morality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. This is the will of God for your life, your sanctification. He pats him on the back. You're doing good up till now. Just keep doing it more and more and more. Just keep growing closer and closer to God. Keep walking with Jesus. Look, to do that, we separate from some things. We don't live like the people that don't know God. If you know God, your life ought to be very different from somebody's life who doesn't know God. God is a big change to a life. And so we need that that progressive, that practical sanctification taking place in our lives. And verse 7 and 8 in chapter 4, he says, For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives His Holy Spirit to you. And so this idea of sanctification, this practical sanctification that we continue to grow closer and closer to God, getting greater and greater victories over sin in our life, and greater and greater fellowship with Christ in doing it. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 19, he says, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. And so you see, just very practical. He says, look, you used to be slaves to sin. You're not a slave to sin anymore. You're a slave to God. And you're following Him. And what is the result of this? This is that ongoing sanctification in your life. A few verses later, verse 22, he says, but now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. So that's what sanctification is. God, at the moment we put our faith in Christ, He sets us apart unto Himself. You are particularly His. But now, in this life, then He wants you to grow. If you're part of His family, then look like you're part of His family. He wants you to grow and experience His love at a greater level and His holiness at a greater level. He wants you to be closer and closer to Him. And ultimately, it's going to be perfect. But in the meantime, we're in the practical. Now, as we look at this passage a little closer, we see also the source of that sanctification. It says, Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Notice the source for this is God Himself. May the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. And then later it points to a character trait of His faithfulness. He says He is faithful. He will do it. You know, when we look throughout Scripture, 
we see the whole Godhead participating in this in this process. In fact, we see in this passage it just lists God, God the Father. When we look at like First Corinthians chapter one and verse thirty, it talks about Christ. And because of Him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. The whole reason that we're set apart unto God is because of the purchase of us on that cross. When Christ went to the cross and laid down His life for us and then rose again from the dead, that purchased our salvation. It purchased our sanctification. Jesus in doing that set us apart unto God. And so Christ is involved in our sanctification. But not only is He involved, but also Peter and Paul both speak of uh, the Holy Spirit's involvement in our sanctification. In 1 Peter chapter 1, and verses 1 and 2, he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. It's in the Spirit that we are sanctified or through the Holy Spirit's ministry. The Apostle Paul in the book of 2 Thessalonians in chapter 2, verse 13 says, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you as the firstfruits to be saved through the sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. And so is that Jesus Christ purchased our sanctification on the cross. The Holy Spirit is who applies it to our heart, to, to our soul, to our spirit. So we see the entire Godhead involved in this. But you know, as we see that, the way it describes it in this passage is it focuses more on, like it talks about the God of peace. May the God of peace sanctify you. Now, peace was something that he wished them at the back at the very beginning of the letter. It's also something that, that he told them to be at peace with one another as we went through the letter. And now at the very end, he, he names it as an attribute of God. And he says, may the God of peace sanctify you. The Bible talks about God making peace with us through the blood of the cross. That before Christ, mankind was at enmity with God. But God, through Christ, in the giving of His Son, made peace with us. I remember seeing a New Tribes video years ago and taking the Gospel to tribes in, in different places around the world. I remember seeing a couple different videos. I saw one called Itau, which is their way of saying Amen. And it was interesting because this guy went in and started at Genesis, started at the beginning, and just told chronologically the, the message of the Bible, which ended up in Christ and salvation. If you haven't seen that video, well, I'm sure we have it. It's an amazing video because it shows the people watching and listening to the message. They would not miss a message. They were glued to this story. A lady gave birth during the telling of the story. They just hung a tarp so she could have it on the other side of the tarp and still hear the message. And when they got to Judas betraying Christ, they were just floored. They were heads in their hands and just, how could this be? And when Christ died on the cross, they were, no, how could this? This can't be it. They just couldn't get their mind around it. And the next day when He came to the resurrection and Christ coming out of the grave, the whole tribe jumped up and down and started chanting for like three or four hours, Etau, I believe. It was an amazing thing. And they went to another tribe and taught the same thing, the same method. This was a very different tribe. And when they got to this tribe, when they got to Judas, he was the hero. Their tribe had not long before the missionary came. They had an enemy tribe. And they went and told somebody from that tribe, we want to make peace with you guys. And uh, they kind of had him over for these little talks and kind of warmed him up and got him so he wasn't so so cautious. And they invited him to a big banquet that was going to be in honor of him, but he was actually on the menu. To them... The greatest deception that you could put on your enemy is the highest honor that you could achieve. So when they got to Judas, all of a sudden they were celebrating Judas. And the missionary was like, what in the world do I do with this? 
Never crossed his mind Judas would be the hero of the story when he betrayed Christ with a kiss. They thought that was the most amazing. The missionary finally said, you know what? I'm packing it in unless you change. There's warring factions with another tribe and stuff. And he says, look, unless you make peace, I'm, I'm taking my tools and stuff and going home. See, in missions, the gospel isn't the only thing you're doing. You also bring other things that benefit the community and stuff as well. And they didn't want to lose those benefits. They said, well, we really can't afford to lose this. And so they, they decided, okay, we'll make peace with this other tribe. And so they did. They, they went and they made peace with the other tribe. But you know how they had to do it? How do you make peace with people you can't trust? How do you make peace with, with the kind of person that when they invite you to dinner, you might be on the menu? How could you ever trust them? You know how they made peace? They had a custom. They had a way to do it. The chief of this tribe has a newborn son and he gives it to the other tribe. And the other tribe raises it. As long as that son's okay, there's peace. That's what this chief had to do. He had to pay that price to have peace to keep that missionary around. All of a sudden, the missionary saw an opening, right? God gave His Son to us to establish peace with us. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying right now. May the God of peace, who would give His only Son to make peace with us, may He sanctify us. The source of our sanctification is God. What about the scope? The scope. What all, what all does He mean by sanctification? How... How far does this reach? How far does this go? And the reason that we're looking at it here this morning is in this short little passage, there's three different elements that we need to recognize that are part of this scope. The first one is, is concerning God. How far is God going with this, with our sanctification? He says, Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. No matter where you are in your relationship before God right now, may He continue to do it until it reaches completion. The idea is that completion time when we get to the return of Christ, that we are growing and growing and growing until then, that God is completely setting us apart to Himself. You know, in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, it says, And I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul would write to those people and say, You know what, I'm very confident. I know that it's God who's working in you. That's why you came to Christ. That's why you're saved. That's why you're growing in your faith. It's God that's working in you. Now, interesting thing about sanctification is there, there is a cooperation. I don't think there's any coincidence that this call for God to sanctify us comes shortly after God telling us not to quench the Spirit. In fact, some commentators have mentioned that you know that whole list of things that God, responsibilities that God gave us with our leaders and with each other and with God and all those things that He listed sanctification provides the empowerment to be able to do those things. And so it's God that's working in us to do those things, and we cooperate. We do not quench that. We participate. We follow in what He has for us to do. Uh, just a chapter later in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12-13, through 13, He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Calling on these people to do what? He says, work out your salvation. Not work for your salvation. There is no work for your salvation other than what Christ accomplished on your behalf. But He says, work out your salvation. In other words, uh, we are to be engaged. We are to be involved. We are to, to listen, to read, to learn, to repent, to change, to, to go forward with God. We are to submit to Him as He sets us apart unto Himself. We are to walk in holiness and in ways that are pleasing to God. We are to separate ourselves from our sin and the world around us in that way. 
And so we participate in that. But why do we work out our salvation? For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do. In other words, He gives you the desire and the ability to overcome. He gives you the desire and the ability to walk in a way that's pleasing with God and to experience this sanctification in a more full manner. And so the scope of our sanctification concerning God, He wants to sanctify us completely. In fact, concerning us, He says, And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless. So the scope concerning God is He wants to sanctify us completely. The scope concerning ourselves, well, how much of us? What is He asking for? He's asking for all of you. It's just like back in Deuteronomy 6 when God is calling Israel. Moses is giving them the second giving of the law before they enter the promised land. And he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your might, and all your strength. What? Love God with everything that you are. That's what he's doing right now. You, you need to be set apart your whole soul, your whole spirit, your whole body. Down through the ages, we've had this discussion. What is man? Trichotomous. Say a man has three. Try three parts. He has soul and spirit and body. Well, dichotomous say no man is really only two parts. He's an immaterial component and a material component. And to be honest, I think that's probably the best, the best way to see it. Because when you deal with the soul and spirit, some people try to make a division between soul and spirit that the, the soul is kind of your self-awareness of things on earth and the spirit is your self-awareness of things in heaven, things of a spiritual nature. But the problem is, is when you go through and you look up every place that soul and spirit is, is used throughout the Bible, you can't really prove that point. The words soul and spirit are often used fairly interchangeably through the Bible. I can't see a real huge distinction between the two. But we have this spiritual part of us, this soulish part of us, and we have a physical part of us, and he says it all needs to be involved. Now, in their day, they would have had the philosophical um, kind of outlook of a lot of the pagans was a dualism. Right? Dualism teaches that we're spiritual and we're physical, and the spiritual is all good and the physical is all bad. And so their outcome of that was they said, as long as you're spiritual, you can kind of do anything physical and it doesn't really matter because the body's just corrupt anyway. The body's not useful. You know, for the last few weeks, we were able to get our Bible study going in the nursing home again. This last week, we were talking about the resurrection and Christ being the resurrection and, and what we look forward to in the resurrection. And it, it was a really fun Bible study because, you know, you're most of the table sitting there in a the wheelchair and you're talking about what the changes are going to happen to your body at the resurrection and that stuff. And, and they're like, oh, that's going to be awesome. <laughs> and Robert, who's a, a faithful at our Bible study, he, he says, well, I thought that the body was just, we don't really need it. When we die, we just go to be with God in our spirit and our soul or whatever. We don't, we don't need the body anymore. It's done. I didn't know we were going to have it back. I said, no, no, no. God created you with a body and a soul. You're going to need it. It's going to be changed. It's going to be empowered. But looks like you're going to be living on a new earth. This earth requires a body. You're going to have a body in that one too. And we talked about even how Christ raised from the dead and He still has a hand, the holes in His hands and His feet, but it's His body, but it's empowered, it's glorified. And He's like, wow, that's pretty, you know, that's, that's cool. Concerning us, what does He say? He says, all of you is important. It's not that the Spirit's the good part of you and your body's the bad part of you. All of you needs to be sanctified before God. That's why He told us earlier, God's will is our sanctification. Therefore, what does He do? Automatically He goes right to no sexual immorality. In other words, sins that you commit. The Bible says sexual immorality is a, is a sin that we don't 
just commit outside our body, we commit a sin against our body when we commit that sin. And so our body is important. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, it says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Not only is it not to be discarded, it is valuable, it's important. It is the very housing of the Holy Spirit at this time. Do you not know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. God wants all of us, body, soul, spirit. Another thing that factors into whether man is two parts or three parts is, is, you know, if we keep going, we're going to have to list heart, mind, conscience. There are many other immaterial parts of man as well. But what is the point that he's making? Often through Scripture, he'll make a list like this, and it's not inclusive of everything, but each list has a little bit of different things. He's saying, look, God wants all of you. And it's also concerning time. Because what is the scope of sanctification? It reaches back into our past. We're set apart unto Christ the very moment we put our faith in Him. It's dealing with our present because we grow progressively, practically just closer and closer to Christ every day as we walk with Him. And ultimately, it makes its final fruition when Christ returns and we are sanctified body and soul, body and spirit before Him at that day. And it is complete. God says He's all in. The whole point is to have us all in. And it's going to happen for all time until Christ returns and makes it complete.